Happy Lord's Day. Uh, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the dead on this Sunday, and so we call it the Lord's Day. And what we'll find out from this passage, we're not only celebrating the Lord's resurrection, but our resurrection from the dead on that Sunday when Christ rose from the dead. And so it's a joy to be with you. My name is PJ. I'm one of the pastors at this church, and it's our joy to, um, to spend time together in God's Word. And so, because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bible and open it to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hardcover, black hardcover in the, in the chair in front of you. Turn to page 1044 in that book and you'll find Colossians chapter 2. 2 is the big number. And verses 8 through 23, those are the small numbers if this is your first time looking at a Bible. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 23. Hear God's word. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are also circumcised in him, with a circumcision not done with human hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death, of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or, sa or Sabbath days. These are shadows, these are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us in all wisdom. Father in heaven, 
We pray that your word would dwell among us. We pray that you would guard us from being taken captive through philosophy and empty deceit to, based on human tradition and on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Lord, we want to make it to the end. We want to continue in Christ as we sang. <clears throat> For endless days we will sing your praise. We want to make it there, Lord, to the new earth, singing your praise for endless days. And so, Lord, we need you. I need your help to preach, and we, they and I, we need your help to listen to your word, to hear your word with faith and repentance and conviction. So captivate our minds with the truth of Christ. Shift our lives to be regularly and repeatedly and increasingly guarded against empty yet persuasive arguments and judgments that would pull us away and shift us off of our hope in Christ. May your spirit transform us and change us and open the hearts even of those who are not Christian to know Christ this morning. Apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. So help us, we pray. We trust you that you'll help us for your glory and for our transformation and joy and for our neighbors and the nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ideas are powerful. And when an idea captivates your mind, it shifts the whole direction of your life. When an idea captivates your mind and your heart and your imagination, it shifts and directs the direction of your life. In the movie Conception, or not Conception, <laughs> Inception, <laughs> that's a different movie. <laughs> In the movie Inception, and sorry for a spoiler alert, if you haven't seen that movie, you should have seen it a long time ago, if you watch movies. In the movie Inception, and this is not a full spoiler, just a half spoiler, Maul Cobb's wife, Cobb is the main character, Cobb's wife is convinced that she is living in a dream and needs to wake herself up to get back to her life of joy and happiness. Now it's not true. Somehow this idea was planted in her mind that she's in a dream and because of that she believes it so much and she, she needs to, to die to wake up and to get to her life of joy and happiness. And that wrong idea causes her to make choices that eventually lead to her tragic and unnecessary death. A wrong idea, a false idea, captivating a person or a church is powerful. Ideas are powerful. And there are all kinds of bad ideas out there, wrong ideas, dangerous ideas out there, with some that sound, if you go back to Colossians 2 verse 4, he says, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound what? Reasonable. There are some reasonably, seemingly reasonable, seemingly persuasive arguments that we might believe in our lives. And when they do captivate your soul and captivate the direction of your life, it has the potential, it's a threat to your continuing in Christ. And that's Paul's main concern in Colossians 2, 6, that you would continue in Christ and not be shifted away from the hope of the gospel, that you would show yourself to really be a Christian. You know, one of my professors in college at the Master's University, when I, I did a semester in Israel, and one of my professors there, um, that was in 2001, the spring of 2001, and I think maybe four or five years ago, 
um, he has recently denied that Jesus is God. He still believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. He was my Hebrew professor. So he's still like reading his Hebrew Bible and saying, no, the, the Bible teaches that the Messiah would be here, but he would be human and not God. So he still says Jesus is the Messiah, but he doesn't believe, he denies and fights against people who say that Jesus is God. That didn't come out of nowhere. Let's start with a, maybe a small idea of maybe how this verse should be interpreted or that verse should be interpreted, along with some other things as he's doing maybe some Jewish evangelism. And idea after idea after idea, all of a sudden, he's captivated by an idea that Jesus is not God. He is only a man, and the Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, don't teach or expect anything of the fact that Jesus is God. You can just read Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, and see that the Bible expected that the son of David would be called everlasting father, mighty God. But the point here is that a bad idea can captivate even the best of us, even Bible teachers. And he was pastoring too, Bible teachers, pastors, that it can captivate them. And when we see stronger Christians, seemingly stronger Christians, fall away and make shipwreck of their faith, where they no longer continue in Christ, we can get discouraged. Or even fearful. Well, what about me? If that person can't make it and doesn't make it, what about me? What chance do I have? What if I don't make it? What if I'm convinced of a bad idea? What if there's some idea in my mind right now that sounds reasonable and is reasonable to me and it actually captivates me and and can unroot my rootedness in Christ and then shift me away from the hope of the gospel what if that happens to someone I love one of our fellow church members or family members well I have good news for you today from Colossians 2 8 through 23 God has given us this passage to equip us and to strengthen us to continue in Christ and avoid being captivated by attractive bad ideas dangerous ideas and so the main goal of this text and of this sermon is this discern and deny captiva- captivating and Christ displacing arguments and judgments so you need to discern captivating and Christ-displacing arguments, and you need to deny um, captivating and Christ-displacing arguments and judgments so that you continue living to your fullness in Christ. Okay, so discern and deny captivating and Christ-displacing arguments and judgments. Now, in the context of this book, the first command was given in, in Colossians 2, verse 6, and that's the main command of the whole letter. Continue walking in Christ. Continually walk in Christ. That's the main command of the whole book. And he talked about all of this encouragement in the, in the previous part of the book, all reasons why you should continue walking in Christ. And now, for the rest of this letter, in chapter 2, verses 8 through 23, he's going to say, this is how you don't walk in Christ. Here's what to avoid or refrain from. And then chapter 3, verse 1, all the way to 4, 6, this is what you should pursue and go hard after, okay? So in this, this message, we're going to think about what you should avoid if you're going to continue walking in Christ. That's the negative part of walking in Christ. Avoid these bad things. And then in the rest of the letter, we're going to think about what you should go for. What are the positive things that you should pursue in your walk with Christ, okay? So we're talking about the negative aspects that you're to avoid if you're going to continue in the preeminent Christ. Now, I gave you the main goal, which is to discern and deny uh, captivating and Christ-displacing arguments and judgments. And my outline is those two points. Discern and deny Christ-displacing arguments, point one, verses 8 through 15. And then uh, discern and deny Christ-displacing and captivating judgments, verses 16 to 23. Really, verses 
10 through 9 through 23, but 16 through 23 will be the focus there of, um, of um, bad judgments. Okay, so beware of bad arguments, nine, 8 through 15, and then bad judgments, verses 16 through 23. So let's go look at the, the main command here, really, of the passage. This is a general command in verse 8 of this passage. Be careful, here's the command, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. So what is the command? To be what? Be careful. Be careful not to be taken captive. The idea here is being kidnapped. Even the idea of piracy. Pirates on a ship, you know, where you're, you're vulnerable. You're maybe on a ship with some friends, and then pirates come and and you have no defense. You can't call 911. There's no help. You're stuck on an island or really on a boat by yourself with pirates invading your, your ship and, and being taken captive. That's the imagery here. That there are ideas. That there are philosophies and um, truths which are really empty deceits, lies based on human tradition and based on the elements of this world that are seeking to captivate and kidnap and control you. Elements of this world are just, you know, it could be like the basic, ele- it really is basic elements or elemental spirits, some translations say, and it's a little bit of both. It really starts with elements of this world being like the basic elements, like earth, wind, fire, right? Just the basic things of this world, the things, of the, the things, but then from the basic things that make up this world, ideas come that seem common to everyone, and they're different in different cultures. So in our culture, there are some basic truths like freedom, personal freedom and the right to choose, which is kind of like a basic element of our world and society. Whereas if you go to the Muslim part of the world, the basic elements of those ideas in that world is um, not necessarily freedom, but submission, right? And so basic ideas of the world are even given in particular societies based on first what are the elements that make up the world physically and then the elemental ideas that are the basic things that everybody believes in the culture. And behind that is a spirit because lies are not coming from a vacuum. They come from sinful thoughts, and, we, and they even come from the father of lies. Who is the father of lies? Satan, right? The devil. The devil is the father of lies. So there's a, there's a, a spiritual aspect to these elements of the world. It starts with basic physical elements, basic ideas of the, of the society, which has at its root even satanic sources of these basic elemental ideas of the world. And what Paul's concerned with and what I'm concerned with for you is that you not be taken captive by these ideas, by these philosophies, by these theologies even, you could say. Philosophy here is not just the, the, the particular discipline of, of um, you know, ethics and um, metaphysics and, um, what's the third one? Metaphysics, ethics, and, I'm blanking out. Oh, epistemology. Yeah, so the, the, the idea of what exists, how you know things, and how to live. Those are like the three branches of, of philosophy. It's not talking about that as a strict discipline. just talking about ideas, worldviews, opinions. Be careful that these don't um, take you over in your mind. Now, if you're not a Christian, thank you for coming this morning. You might be thinking something like, okay, hold on. This sounds like brainwashing 101. Get a bunch of Christians together in a room and tell them, be careful of everyone else and just listen to me. Or just listen to this book and let's, let's, let's put our heads in the sand and let's not think about other ideas and let's fear everything out there and let's be so scared that we have to follow our religion. That sounds like a cult. 
And if not a cult, if we want to just take one step back and maybe not be that insulting, we might say, that sounds like a straitjacket. I have to just obey the Bible? So in Christianity, the Bible and the church dictate everything that a Christian must believe and feel and do? Christians aren't encouraged to make their own decisions, their own moral judgments, or to think out their beliefs or patterns of life for themselves? In a fiercely pluralistic society, there are too many options, too many cultures, too many personality differences for this approach. I mean, we have smartphones, right? We can, we can get all kinds of opinions. We must be free to choose for ourselves how to live. This is the only true, authentic life. We should only feel guilty if we're not being true to ourselves, to our own beliefs and practices and values and our own vision of life. That would be a, an idea of this world, right? An idea of this society. If you're not a Christian and, you under, and that's what you might be thinking, let me just say, first of all, I sympathize with that. Nobody wants to be put in a straitjacket. I don't, I don't want to be put in a straitjacket and be forced against my will to be thoughtless and mindless and like a machine that just obeys whatever I'm told without any thinking, feeling, and enjoying. So I, I resonate with that objection. That makes a lot of sense. And if that were uh, true in and of itself, I would be with you against Christianity. But I want you to think about a few things here. First of all, individual creation of truth. If truth just comes from me and whatever is my truth... That removes the right to moral outrage. If everyone has a right to their truth, then, um, then you can't be morally outraged when people do things that you don't like. Aren't there any people in the world who are doing things that you believe are wrong and they should stop doing it no matter what they feel inside their heart? No matter what they personally believe is right and wrong for themselves? If you think that there are some people in this world who shouldn't be doing certain things that they feel in their heart they should do, then you do believe that there is some kind of moral obligation that people should abide by and which stands in judgment over their internal choices and convictions. So I was listening to an interview where it was talking about, you know, um, can, can, you, can I say I'm a woman? Uh, if, I'm a, if I'm physically a man, can I say that I am, um, can I say that I am white? Or European American? Can I say that I'm six foot seven? Can I say that I'm seven years old? If I feel it in my heart. And can I, and you know, start asking these questions to these um, Washington University students, and they're like, yeah, if, I mean, I wouldn't agree. For, on the woman thing, they're like, yeah, of course. And then when they get to like these other things, like, well, I wouldn't agree with you, but if you want to say that, and he's like, can I enroll in a first grade class? And they're like, uh, well, as long as you're not hurting anyone, and that actually becomes the final one, right? As long as you're not hurting others outside of you. Who judges that, though? If, if hurting others outside of you is the judgment, then you're, you're putting a moral obligation on who? On me, right? You're putting a moral obligation on people as long as you don't hurt other people. The point is, everyone has moral obligations. So what's wrong with Christians looking to God's word for that. I'm just saying, you have moral obligations, we have moral obligations. It's not wrong to have moral obligations. It's not necessarily a straitjacket. Secondly, no one is really free anyways. We all live for something, and whatever we live for is our ultimate, um, our ultimate master. And we live in accordance as a slave in allegiance to that master. We are all loyal to some master and disloyal to every other master. And so, for, for us, it's Jesus and Jesus through the Bible. For others, it might be approval or achievement or a love relationship or their job. But the point is everyone has a master and everyone serves a master, directs their life based on a master. 
Everyone is captivated by something. And so we are just saying, be captivated by Christ, not other things, because Christ is the only master who dies for your sins and gives you eternal life. Your master won't do that for you. So I want to just say, if you're not a Christian, give Christianity a chance. Give it a deeper look. All right. Now let's go into this outline here in verses 9 through 15, and let's try to fly through these. Here are four reasons why Christians should beware of bad ideas, why we should discern and deny captivating and Christ-displacing arguments. There are arguments. Look at verse 9. Um, why should you be careful of these arguments, these philosophies and empty deceits? Um, um, based on human tradition, according to human tradition. Uh, number one, verse nine and 10, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ and you have been filled by him. So here's the reason why. Why do you want to go to other uh, ideas? Because you want to be full. You want to have a full and joyful life. Well, what does it say in verse 10? You have been what? Look at verse 10. You have been what? Filled by who? By Christ. Christ has filled you. You could translate that. He, you have been fulfilled by him. You're not only filled by him, you're fulfilled by him. You could even translate that. You have been completed by him. You are not incomplete. You are not lacking. You are not half empty. You are not unfulfilled in actuality. You might feel unfulfilled. You might feel like you're empty. You might feel incomplete. But what Paul is saying is, listen, you have been filled, fulfilled, and completed in Christ Jesus. Filled, filled by him. So as you look to be full, full and fulfilled and completed, we want all that. But Paul tells us we are already completed. We're in a state of, of completion, and we're continually in this state of being completed in Christ. But why is it enough? I still feel empty. I still want more. I still feel like I need more in my Christian life and in my social life and in my personal life and in my physical life. I still feel like I need more. You're telling me I'm full. I, I don't feel full. Why are we full in Christ? Why, why is Christ enough to fill us? That's where you go back to verse 9. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in who? In Christ. In other words, Christ has all the entire fullness of God's nature in him. Jesus is God. He is truly God. He is fully God. And this God-man, God the Son, fills you. And you are being filled in God the Son. This is not just a human savior, a human Messiah that fills you. That would be deficient. You'd be deficient. You could have some lack because he's just a man. But the one you are filled in and filled by is God the Son, Jesus the Messiah, who has the entire, complete, full nature of God in his human body, dwelling bodily in Christ. And where God lives, that's what we call in the Bible the temple, right? God's dwelling place is the temple. And so the dwelling place of God among humanity is in whom? In Christ Jesus. He is the temple of God. In his body, God's fullness is there. There is no other means. There is no other person. There is no other method, no group, no philosophy, no argument, no practice in your life that can fill you up more than the, fact, than the reality that you are already filled up in Christ Jesus. Verse 10 gives us another description of this Christ Jesus that we're filled in. This Christ Jesus who we're filled in is the head over every ruler and authority. So the first reason why you should um, discern and deny Christ displacing arguments, arguments that are according to human tradition and elements of the world and not according to Christ, is because you're already completed in Christ. You have been completed in Christ, and you are in a state of being complete in Christ. And that's a continual active state. 
It's not just a one-time thing and you get bored. No, you're completely filled and filled and filled and filled. You can almost think of it as a cup that has a leak. And so there's a cup that's leaking. And so when you're in Christ, he fills you. But as you live life, it's continually being leaking and draining and draining. But guess what? As it's continually draining, what's happening at the top? You're continually being what? Filled in Christ. So you're never empty. Even though you're feeling leak, even though things are going out from you, you're continually in a state of fullness and completion in Christ. Secondly, second reason why you should um, deny and discern uh, captivating and Christ-displacing arguments is because you were circumcised in Christ. So reject the human tradition ideas, reject the elements of the world ideas, that basis. It should be according to Christ because you were circumcised in Christ. Look at verse 11. 11 and 12, you were also circumcised with him with a circumcision not done with hands. He's not referring to a physical circumcision done with hands, the snipping of a male foreskin done to males in the Abrahamic and Old Covenant practices. What is this circumcision then? If it's not physical circumcision that males received in the Old Covenant. A circumcision not done with hands, a circumcision of what? By putting off the body of flesh. Oh, that's the circumcision. So you're not cutting off a piece of foreskin and putting off foreskin. What are you putting off? The body of what? The body of flesh. What is that? That's speaking. Well, where was this body of flesh put off? In the what? In the circumcision of Christ. So this is not speaking of Christ's physical circumcision on the eighth day. When Christ was, was crucified and buried, he was put away. And guess what? When Christ was buried... We're going to get to this in verse 10. Um, when, you were, when, when you were buried with him in baptism, when Christ was buried, you were buried with him. So what is put off? Our body of what? Flesh. What does that mean? This is speaking of the old PJ and the old you, the sinful you, the sinful self, the old nature. It's cut off and dispensed with and thrown away and put off from you so that you can now be who you are called and made to be. The old you is dead. The old you has been cut off like foreskin and put away. Now, continuing on here in verse 11, it says, in the circumcision, so when was this done? Uh, how and when was this old sinful self put off? In the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So when Christ died, who died with Jesus? We did, right? When he was buried in the tomb, who was buried with Jesus? We were. So when we're singing, um, his body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. I was like, was he though? I mean, not according to this passage, right? Uh, he, I, physically, he's all alone. But, but was he all alone? Who was buried with him? We were buried with him. We were buried. When Christ was buried, all believers of all time who would ever come to know and be united to Jesus, they were all buried with Christ that Friday night in the tomb. And it says in Ephesians 2, verse um, verse. Um, I think six, you were also raised with him. Verse 12 says that, or verse 12 says it here, right? Uh, when Christ, you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. And even, it says in Ephesians 2, 6, you're even seated with him in the heavenly places, in the heavens. Paul's focus here is that when Christ died and was buried, you were with him in that death. You were with him in that burial. 
And in that grave where he was buried, your old self was buried. And that old self is now gone. It's put off. It's done away with. You are no longer enslaved to sin. That was the old you. And that old you is gone. You are no longer a slave of sin. Listen to Romans 6, 3 through 7 and verse 11. Are, or are you unaware, Paul says, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is free from sin. Do you guys hear this? You know why you should not be captivated by human traditions and by the ideas based on human traditions and the elements of this world apart from Christ? Because you are buried with Christ and your old self that lived to those things is gone. It's dead. It's crucified. It's buried six feet under, never to rise again. It no longer has power over you. The ideas no longer have power over you. The desires no longer, no longer have power over you. As we're going to learn later on in this passage, the satanic forces no longer have power over you. You are free in the circumcision you have in Christ, putting off this body. And so Romans 6.11 says, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You have been filled in Christ our God through your circumcision in Christ. And your old self was buried and put away. Okay, so um, I'm going to go down to reason three. The first reason you're filled by him is kind of the general reason why you should live according to Christ's ideas, ideas according to Christ, and not ideas according to human tradition or the elements of this world. The, f the first main reason is you're filled by Christ. Now these next three are, are the ways that you're filled by Christ. Number one, you're circumcised with Christ. Or that's a, the that's a second way, um, why, you, second, sorry, I'm, I'm confusing you with all these numbers. It's the second reason why you should discern and deny, okay, um, is because you're filled with him. How else, I mean, is because you're circumcised with him, sorry. How else, just erase all that, how, how else are you filled by Christ? Not just by being circumcised with him, but secondly, by being given new life with Christ. You're given new life in Christ. Look at verses 13 and 14. And when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, this was your plight. This was your reality. Before Christ, you were not alive. You were what? Dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Flesh Again, it's not speaking about it physically. It's speaking about it spiritually. You had your old nature. You were a sinner not just by choice but by nature. You were born a sinner. You loved sin. According to Colossians 1 verse 21, once you were alienated, hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. You were dominated by sin. It captivated your mind, your heart, your ideas, your joys. Even the good that you wanted to do, you wanted to do good for your selfish gain, for your self-centeredness and your self-exaltation. Everything in you, about you was selfish and self-centered and satanic and hostile to God. That's what you once were. But the good news is, looking at verse 13, when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh and the hostility of your mind, he, that's Christ, or God, God made you alive with Christ and forgave us all our trespasses. There it is. Your old self is not only dead in Christ's death, but your new self is made alive in Christ's resurrection. So when we say happy Lord's Day, 
We are thinking about the Lord's resurrection from the dead, but it's also happy Lord's Day because this day, this Sunday, when Christ rose from the dead, guess who else rose from the dead? You rose from the dead. You were made alive again. Now your new life, your new self. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. That new creation, that new PJ, that new you was raised from the dead with Christ's resurrection and God made you alive together with Jesus on that Sunday. And this making alive is, is done only because of the rest of verse 13. He forgave us all our trespasses. Without forgiveness of trespasses, there is no life because the wages of sin is what? Death. So we must be forgiven of our sins and our trespasses. And so it says, he forgave us of all our trespasses. Look at verse 14. How did he forgive us of all our trespasses? He erased the certificate of debt with his obligations that was against us and opposed to us. He erased your debt and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. There are some sins in my life that I am, I mean, I have to be ashamed of all my sins, but there are some sins that cause more shame than other sins as I look at them. I cringe, I feel ashamed, and I think about the judgment day when all of our works are going to be laid bare before the Lord. I'm just trusting in Jesus when we get there, you know, on the, on the final, final day of judgment. But this verse is like a sweet uh, salve to my soul. When I think about all my sins, and when I think about some of my sins very particularly and very concretely, um, that Christ took all of those sins, the full list, all written out, that certificate of debt. And he, what did he do with all that? All, all the record of all of PJ's sins? What did he do with all of your sins? He what? He erased it. It's a blank sheet. You got no sins left on that sheet. Your name with your sins, and that, that list is empty. It's blank. It's deleted. It's gone. Wow. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. How did he do it? He took it away. And how did he take it away? According to verse 14, by what? By nailing it to the cross. By nailing it to the cross. He forgave our sins, erased all of our trespasses and sins, all of your trespasses and sins, the ones you know about and the ones you don't know about. He did it, taking it away by nailing it to the cross. Jesus Christ dies on the cross as a ransom for the many, for his people. We are fully forgiven. We are freely forgiven. We are fully fulfilled and intimate and unbreak we have an unbreakable union with God. There is zero barrier between you and communion with God because he has erased all of your sins, past, present, and future. You don't need to look elsewhere to find full fulfillment, completion, and joy and fullness in God. It's all gone. It's all erased. It was nailed to the cross when Christ died for your sins. If you're not a Christian, again, thank you for coming. We're glad you're here this morning. We're grateful for you being here. Um, God wants you under, to understand this good news of how you can be forgiven of all your sins and be given eternal life. So let me tell you the main message of Christianity with four questions. Where did we come from? Where did we come from? We came from God. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made us to share in the fullness of his joy and love uh, that he always enjoyed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God made us to know him and enjoy him as his people and as his community in his place forever. 
Why did things go wrong? That's the second question. Why did things go wrong? Things went wrong because Adam and Eve and us, we sinned against God. We rebelled against God. We didn't want to enjoy God. We wanted to use God for other enjoyments, for our other gods, our false gods, our fake gods, our counterfeit gods. And the result, there are two results of this sin. The first one is spiritual bondage. We are now enslaved to our sin and our rebellion and our selfishness. We are slaves of these false gods. And secondly, we are condemned. We are damned to hell, to the lake of fire, to be judged forever and ever and ever, to eternally and self-consciously die because of our sins in the lake of fire under God's wrath. Because of sin. That's why things went wrong in this world. And we are condemned. We're, we're sentenced to die because of it. What will put things right? Or maybe a better question is, who will put things right? And Christians, what's the answer for our non-Christian friends? Christ. Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will put things right. How does Jesus put things right? By his incarnation, his substitution, and his restoration. In his incarnation, God the Son became a man. He took on human flesh, still staying truly God, now truly man. He lives the life on earth as a man, learning and trusting and obeying God all the way through his life without sin. He took on the place of suffering for us. And then substitution. He actually takes our place on the cross. He takes our sin and takes the judgment and wrath on himself that humans deserve, that his people deserve. He takes it on himself and dies for sins. And then, that's substitution. And the third word was restoration. He rose from the dead, showing that his body is restored, and he reigns in heaven, and he will come again to restore this whole world so that there's no more sin, no more tears, no more pain, no more crying, no more death, no more sickness, no more bereavement, no more separation, no more tension, no more inner turmoil, no more lack of peace, no more anxiety, no more fear. He's going to restore this whole world that we might know and enjoy God in him with each other on a new earth forever and ever and ever. Jesus is the one who puts everything right. So the last question is this. How can I be put right? I mean, if Jesus is doing that for his people, how can I become part of his people? To get in on that restoration, good news, through his death and resurrection. The answer is by believing in Jesus Christ and repenting from your sins. You must turn away from your own goodness and your own godliness and your own religion and your own um, sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Trust in him for his, uh, trust in his life, death, and resurrection for you. Trust him as your savior and as your Lord and as your treasure. And Christ will forgive you of all your sins. He'll erase your debt. He will forgive you of your sins. He'll give you his Holy Spirit. He'll live in you. He'll put his word in you. And he'll walk with you for the rest of your life. So Jesus is calling you this morning to repent from your sins and trust in Christ. All right, so that's another reason why we should reject uh, arguments based on human tradition and elements of the world is because you were given life in Christ. And the last reason why you should um, deny and discern these ideas, these arguments, is because you are included in Christ's victory. Look at verse 15. You're included in Christ's victory. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. So the rulers and authorities here are, are angelic beings, demons, Satan and demons, most likely. He disarmed the demons and he disgraced them and he triumphed over them. How did he disarm the demons in the cross? What is Satan's greatest weapon, his, his only effective weapon for your total destruction? 
your eternal damnation. Satan's weapon is your unforgiven sins. Satan, the devil is the accuser. That's what the word devil means, adversary, accuser, slanderer. He will accuse you of your sins before God and charge you with sin so that you go to hell. But when Christ forgives you of your sins and God erases all your debt, can he, can he charge you with sin so that you go to hell? Yes or no? No, he's disarmed. His greatest weapon, his only effective weapon for his final goal is gone. So he's disarmed by the cross of Christ. Not only is he disarmed, he's disgraced publicly. In this public crucifixion of Christ, the demons thought that they had the ultimate victory. The Messiah dies. The Son of God dies. God the Son dies on the cross. The Jewish Savior of the world dies. He fails. He doesn't rule. He doesn't reign. He doesn't restore all things. He dies on the cross, and Satan orchestrates it. And so they celebrate this victory over God, not knowing that that very victory is the instrument of their death. That victory is not just them shooting themselves in the foot, but stabbing themselves in the heart. They have lost, and it's public. Their shame, their loss, their disgrace is public. And it says here, not only has he disgraced them publicly in, in the cross and in the people of God from every tribe and nation and people and language coming to God, he triumphed over the demons. The God, God the Father triumphed over them in the Son. He triumphed over them and defeated them. God defeated the rulers and authorities in the person and work of Jesus. This is the idea, is a public spectacle of a Roman military when the Roman army destroys and defeats a, a place. They take back the king and the soldiers and all the spoil and all the rewards of war, and they march through Rome. And as they march through Rome, they get a crowd and a parade who gets to see and cheer for their military and shame and uh, mock the enemy who went against them and tried to destroy them or oppose them. And so that's what's happening here. Christ is marching through a victory parade and the demons are shamed in shackles as Christ marches through and people just celebrate, celebrate the victory of Christ. That's what Lucky Saints, part of the song Lucky Saints is for. We'll sing that tonight. So don't give in to these arguments because you've been filled by Christ. Um, at the end of the movie, another spoiler alert here. I'm going to get the title right this time. Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> Peter Parker dreams, the whole movie dreams of becoming an Avenger. That is what would make his life full. That is his captivating idea. If I can just become an Avenger, like all these other heroes, then I will have a happy and full life. And so he's constantly disappointed because he never gets there. But after defeating his nemesis in this first movie, Tony Stark offers him a spot on the Avengers on the team. And by that point, by the point that he gets the offer that he's always dreamed of having, you know what he does? He refuses it. He says, no, I'm good. Because I'm content with being a neighborhood Spider-Man. I'm content with being a neighborhood hero for now and just living out my high school days with my friends. That's actually what I want to do with my time. I'm, I'm fulfilled here. I don't need that offer. I don't need the Avengers job to have a happy and full life. And that's what Paul is getting at here. In Christ, you have been filled in him. You've been circumcised in him. You've been made alive with him. You've been forgiven of all your trespasses. You have, ha you have the victory in Christ. You have all of it in Christ. And he's completely, continually, regularly filling you. Every time you, you leak out, he's always filling you. You're always in a state of fullness in Christ. 
that you don't need to be attracted by these ideas that captivate the world based on human tradition and the elements of the world. You have your fullness in Christ Jesus. Here's some application for you. I was hesitating, and the reason I'm hesitating is because I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to end the sermon at this point. I'm going to give you guys a few, we're going to have extra minutes, extra time for takeaways. Here's some application to close. I don't want to rush the next part. Church family, if you're a Christian here, realize that you're in a state of having been filled in Christ, by Christ, and you are complete right now, and you're still being completed in him. Realize that. That's the point here. Realize it so much so, be so filled with this idea that the other things don't draw you out. Church family, what does it mean for you if you're a member of this church? And if you're a member of another church, this is what you should be doing with your church family. If you're a member of a church, remind one another of your fullness in Christ that you already possess. And I might add here, as you remind each other, I mean, this is Colossians 1.28, right? We proclaim him, warning everyone. That's what this passage is. This passage in the next, next Sunday now. This passage is about warning, right? Warning everyone and teaching everyone, here's the key, with all what? With all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So instead of extra time, let me just apply it this way. Uh, brothers and sisters, as you remind each other of your fullness in Christ, do it with all wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is fittingness. I keep telling you guys that. That's going to be for this whole series on Colossians. Wisdom is fittingness. Know what fullness of Christ word you're going to say to each other that fits. Beware of just sloganeering Christianity and discipleship. Don't just throw out the slogan. Slogans are helpful when they're understood and used wisely. But slogans by themselves, misused, are not only unwise, they can damage other people, right? So when we say all things work together for good, right? So when goes through, anyone goes through trial, hey, praise God, all things work together for good. You just say that no matter what suffering they're going through, they're crying their eyes out, they just had this great tragedy in their lives, they say, praise God, all things work together for good. Is that true that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose? Yes or no? Is that true? Yes, it's true. Yeah, are, you, are we full in Christ? Is He constantly fooling us? Are we, are we in a state of fullness? Yes. But let's remind each other as the 135 members of this church, let's wisely remind each other. Sometimes that means a, a statement. Sometimes that means a command. Sometimes that means a rebuke. Sometimes, sometimes that means a prayer. Sometimes, sometimes that means uh, reading a verse to each other. Sometimes that means just sitting beside the person and crying with the person and trusting Christ, Right? Let's be wise, but let us not shirk from the reminder. We are full in Christ, even in the face of bereavement, loss, and death. And I say that with a sense of reality, uh, just visiting one of our members who is in hospice care and is dying in the, the next few weeks if the Lord doesn't do something differently, supernaturally. So remind each other of our fullness in Christ. The crazy thing about this um, is that this brother who I visited, whom, whom me and John visited, was not only full in Christ, he was exhorting us in our fullness in Christ. I'm asking, I'm asking him, you know, Brother Ken. I was like, Ken, okay, I got one question. Like, he's, he's talking, talking, and he, he's, again, um, going to pass away soon. It's just a matter of weeks at this point. Um, I said, after he was talking about all this stuff, I just said, Ken, okay, I'm scared to die at times, <laughs> and a lot of members in our church are scared to die at times. What would you say to us? 
And he said um, something along the lines of, I'll, 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 I told him I wanted a quote for the actual funeral, so I will read the exact quote there. But something along the lines of like, God is good. He's always been good to me. I mean, if I look at my life and all my sins, like he has been nothing but good to me. Even as I'm dying here, he has only been good to me. How could I ever be mad at him? Because I'm like, are you bitter at him? Are you doubting him? He's like, I can't doubt him. I can't. Like, I look back at my life. He's just been, he's been too good to me. Now, not everyone, and not everyone's in that state in when they're facing death, but by God's grace, he's exhibiting that even in dying, there's fullness. Even in wasting away slowly, there's fullness. Even in leaving a wife bereaved, there's fullness in Christ. We don't need to be drawn away and enticed by other arguments based on human tradition and the elements of this world. Children, lastly, for the children who are here, good to have you children here with a lot of them missing, or not missing, but in class. Children, trust in Jesus. He is your fullness. Now, I want to say something else to children that I don't normally say. I normally tell you guys to trust in Jesus. Repent from your sins and trust in Jesus. But children, some of you are actually Christians already. Now, I don't know who, and we don't know yet, like credibly for the church, publicly. But children, some of you are already Christians. And I want to talk to you children who are Christians. Children, if you're Christians already, you don't need to grow up so fast. You're saying, well, I want to grow in Jesus, and I want to know more about Jesus. You will know more about Jesus in time. Just know that if you're a Christian right now, as a five-year-old, as an eight-year-old, as a nine-year-old, if you're a Christian right now, you're already full in Christ as a nine-year-old and as an eight-year-old, that Christ has filled you in him. God has filled you in him. And so if you're a child, if you're a kid who's a Christian, you're already filled with Christ. Um, one day we will see it as a church and we'll recognize it. Your parents and the church family will recognize it and we will baptize you as you follow Jesus and we'll celebrate that baptism and we'll walk with you for the rest of your time here in this church. But just know right now, as a seven-year-old, as an eight-year-old, you are full in Christ if you've trusted in him and turned from your sins. And that's good news. And I want to encourage you kids in that. It's good news that God is happy to fill us and complete us in Christ, right? Not only are we full in Christ, we have a God who is so full of joy, so enthusiastic about filling us, that he loves to fill us in Christ. God is not begrudging. God is not grumpy. God is not cranky. God is not stingy. He is happy to fill us in Christ. And so let us discern and deny Christ-displacing arguments and judgments so that we continue to live faithfully in Jesus Christ. My professor, to close, my professor who, um, who got captivated by these ideas, it wasn't just a statement or a judgment, it was an argument from the Bible misinterpreted that really pulled him away. And so what I want to call us to do as Christians and as a church as we close is as we rest in Christ, as we rest in Christ, that means we keep leaning into Christ. We keep reading Christ's word. We keep speaking about it with Christ's people. We keep confessing our sins to Christ and to one another. And we let our thoughts and opinions be made known to one another that we might continue in Christ. You know, there are, level, there are layers to, to um, openness and closeness to, to each other. And in our church, sometimes we jump straight to like level two and three, um, even with strangers. Uh, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's a little abrasive and too much. 
too fast. Um, but level one of communication is just small talk. Hey, how are you? And you just kind of talk about whatever they want to talk about. If you want to go a level deeper, not just what are you thinking about, um, or not just small talk, you could say, what are you thinking about? That's one level deeper. I want to know what you're thinking. Another level deeper than that is I want to know what you think about what you're thinking. That would be a third level of deepness. And the fourth last level would be I want to know what you feel about what you're thinking. That would be the deepest level of vulnerability and openness and communication. And brothers and sisters, if we're going to not be taken captive to arguments that are getting into our hearts and our feelings and our thoughts, we need to share Christ and share of our lives, not just on the surface level, not just our thoughts, but our thoughts about our thoughts and our feelings about our thoughts, that we might faithfully gospelize each other and walk with each other and continue in Christ, joined together in love as God would have us do as a church family. Let's pray. I'll give you a minute to pray, and then I'll close our time in prayer. Father in heaven, it is good for us to sit here in silence together, to let your word sink in, to consider the feelings and thoughts of our hearts, how much of it is on Christ and how much of it is drawn away by other arguments and ideas. We ask, Father, that you would Help us to discern and deny Christ-displacing ideas and captivating ideas. Help us to be captive to Christ, our treasurer, our master, our joy, our Lord, our king, our brother, our greatest treasure and love. And help us to continue in Christ together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.